Welcome back to Say What Needs Saying. I'm Zach. I'm Brandon. And today we are continuing the episode from last time where we discussed cultural misunderstandings and misinterpretations. So if you haven't yet listened to part one, be sure to check that one out. We discussed culture and language, religion, place of origin, and physical attributes, and all kinds of different examples of cultural misunderstandings and misinterpretations from around the world with our friend Red from the Red's Ramblings podcast, who is still here with us for this portion. And we also have with us now several live listeners who will hopefully be able to share their stories and their experiences of this kind of experience, this sort of phenomenon that happens. People misunderstanding each other's culture and misinterpreting their intentions or beliefs based on preconceived notions and things of that nature. In addition to Red from the Red's Ramblings podcast, we also have a special guest joining us for this incredibly important conversation. We have with us Preeti Upala, a former Miss India, global thought leader, speaker, author, and Dharma ambassador. Preeti, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Namaste, Zach, and namaste to your wonderful audience. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to have you on the show. So I figured we would just jump in. You know, like I said, we had previously discussed a couple things. We had previously discussed language and how Americans only learn one language typically and how several other countries learn others. We talked about different hairstyles and attributes to different uh, demographics. And we talked about religion and place of origin, all kinds of things. Obviously, you have plenty of experience across the world and dealing with people of different cultures. So I wanted to just turn it over to you and see what you think some of the biggest examples of this phenomena are, some of the biggest misunderstandings that happen. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you again for this opportunity. I, I, my apologies. I wish I had listened into your previous uh, half of this show because I, when you mentioned religion, uh, I speak on comparative religion. So I, you know, I would have uh, had some input, but that's okay. I can, I can share now because they are all so connected, at least as far as my background goes. I think uh, religion is very much uh, a tradition, a part of our heritage and culture, and it's not uh, anything outside of that. So it's all very um, intertwined in, in strange ways that, that you probably don't find here in the West. Um, so uh, my name is Preeti Upala, and I have a very interesting background. I grew up in the Middle East uh, and lived all around the Middle East before moving to uh, Europe. Then my family moved to Australia, and then I moved to the U.S. I have always been very much an outsider in some way, you know, living in theocracies that uh, are of a different faith than, than I am. So I've always kind of really been a, a, a minority, I guess, an ethnic as well as a religious minority uh, my whole life. And I, I, my parents are from India. That's my heritage, but I've never lived in India. But uh, coming to the uh, question of cultural misappropriation, um, so one big, uh, you know, cultural, uh, uh, I guess, misappropriation is uh, a I mean, there's many, there's more benign ones to some that are pretty heavy, but I will start with yoga because that's a big one. So mm -hmm. I think some of the, the mistruths around yoga is number one, that it's some kind of uh, secular uh, activity. You know, it's mm -hmm. not, it is, it is a, a Hindu, uh, uh, you know, uh, philosophy, uh, you know, uh, yoga is based on Vedic science and Vedic philosophy. Vedas are the holy texts of Hindus. So if they were, it's something like baptism is 
to Christianity, that, that yoga would be that to Hinduism. So to huh. say like baptism is, is secular, it's got nothing to do with Christianity and I can be baptized and I can be a, a you know, an atheist and get baptized and, and that's beautiful. Uh, I don't think the Christians would, I don't think the church would accept that. They would right. find that quite offensive. Um, and the same thing with so many other traditions, right? So the yoga is the same thing. Yeah. It's Hinduism in motion or Hinduism in practice because it's based on Vedas. And so is uh, Jyotisha, which is uh, Vedic astrology, uh, Ayurveda too. But Ayurveda is more of a wellness thing. So, uh, you know, I mean, you can study it and obviously it's it's it, it's like a, a well-being science. But yoga specifically, I think it's... it's it's, if it wasn't a hot thing around the world, I, I don't think anybody would care. Mm -hmm. But the, because it's so huge, I mean, is it 25 million in this country alone that, that practice it? It's probably the, the greatest export of India to the world has been spirituality and specifically yoga. Mm -hmm. So uh, we are, that's a wonderful thing. And, but uh, when you break it down and you speak to some of these people, both the teachers as well as the practitioners, um, you know, uh, the, the, some of the ambassadors of some of the real yoga teachers, the super, the master teachers, uh, they have trained in India. They live a very dharmic life. They have incredible respect and reverence for India and Hinduism, and they understand um, the philosophy that goes with it. And some of them are even consider themselves Hindus, which that's fine. I have a lot of respect for those people. My problem is with the 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 foo foo people you know <laughs> the, the both the, the you know the practitioners one thing you can actually you right. can't actually blame the practitioner that much but the teachers you know these people they do a weekend crash course in yoga they call themselves yogis they they drink they smoke they they some of them sleep around with their yoga clients mm -hmm. uh, they are uh, narcissistic uh, they know very little about uh, Hindu philosophy. Uh, and then they, they off they are uh, touting themselves as, uh, oh, I'm a Maha Guru, Sadguru, whatever the hell. You know, it's, <laughs> it's really, uh, uh, you know, it's not, it'll just be a bunch of white people talking about yoga and they're not, they're, the knowledge is not that deep, but now they're writing books on it. They're uh, coming up with terms and this, that, and the other. It's extremely dangerous, you know. So that's a short thing about yoga. There are obviously um, uh, many other, uh, you know, you can just go down the list, I think, of anything that's uh, a Vedic science or a, a Vedic philosophy, um, you know, uh, and uh, you, you realize that there's so much ignorance around it. Um, and then I think the worst is a small group of like genuine bigots in, in this sort of industry who want to sort of make a bifurcation between uh, yoga, the just the asana, you know, the poses and the greater, uh, uh, greater faith of Hinduism. So they are saying they're running around saying it has nothing to do with Hinduism, which is mm. not true and pretty moronic. And I think for somebody like myself, I really do find that very dangerous because it's like the the whatever the best that Hinduism has to offer, uh, you are basically stripping it off that. And then well, what's left, then you might have some things that you don't understand. And that's when you start smearing. You know, atheists do this a lot. You know, um, mm -hmm. they will, um, they, they want to smear every religion. They pick such obscure things, especially when it comes to Hinduism, you know, because 
atheists, I can understand them having a problem with conversion and uh, apostasy, blasphemy, uh, you know, jihad, uh, radical terrorism and all of that. But then they'll pick up Hinduism and they'll say, oh, what is this, this, uh, uh, this Vedic philosophy and this and that and your you know who, who are Brahmins and are they like this upper upper are they like the blue-eyed people of Hinduism or they make all of these distortions about uh, six seven thousand year old traditions that uh, have there's a reason why they were created and why they've existed so long and they very easily um, smear it. So now we are seeing a situation where, uh, you know, you want to bring down, uh, uh, you know, whether it's Antifa or BLM or any of these groups, you want to bring down Churchill's statue because he, I mean, he, no, no doubt he was a racist. That's one thing. But now you want to bring down Mahatma Gandhi as well. And I'm sure right. Nelson Mandela is next. And, and the actual leaders, you know, who, look, they have their own flaws. I will be the first to criticize Gandhi. I think he was a, a lot of political decisions that were made were not sound for the country. And today, 70 years later, we're still suffering for it. But I think to uh, put him in the same category as someone like Churchill, who killed millions of people, it, uh, it just becomes moronic, you know. So, um, but most people don't have that knowledge. They can't even debate these things, if even if they realize that something was not right. So I think it starts with education and awareness, not just of uh, the West and or the other, but yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, in our in my own community, I think younger kids need to learn a little bit about world history and and their own country's evolution over the last five thousand years, uh, and understand what what's going on. So that I think at least at the very very least, they can at least even uh, voice out things that seem a little off you know right yeah definitely i think and we had talked about in the first half of this that education is absolutely one of the critical solutions to a lot of these problems and mm -hmm. and fixing you know some of these misunderstandings um thanks so much for for sharing that i i'm glad actually that you started with yoga because that's not really something that people that's think really about benign, typically. You know? <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's a little more benign it's a little less you know talked about as as much as some of the other stuff I definitely want to come back to you um, in a bit to talk about some of the less benign examples. But first, I think I would like to jump to another one of our participants that are in the conversation with us. We have two people here that are joining us from Iran. I'd like to turn it over to you guys now and see if you guys have anything you'd like to share uh, as far as examples of this, of cultural misunderstandings, of you know any anything that you'd like to bring up for the for the episode. Uh, I'll begin by saying, hey, Zach. Hey, Brandon. Thanks for having us on your show. I'm here with uh, Mohammed. I'm David. And uh, hello, I'm Mohammed. Oh. That's his voice. So, hey. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having us. And thanks for the uh, thanks to the previous speaker. That was quite insightful. I think I know a few of those uh, yoga instructors that uh, were spoken <laughs> about, but uh, I won't go into that one. So yeah, so uh, from our side, from uh, Iran's side, um, I should begin by saying I'm half English, half Iranian. My man's fully Iranian, so he'll mm -hmm. be the expert here between the two of us. Uh, but yeah, we've we've highlighted a few points of sort of misconception uh, related to Iran. So we'll go through our list that we have right in front of us. So the first one is uh, uh, interesting, actually, because we uh, we're podcasters like yourself. And we had a show with a Japanese uh, chap who joined us 
to eat sushi, Iranian-made sushi with us. And uh, one of the questions we had for him was what his, we asked him what his family uh, thought about him being in Iran. And he laughed. And, and what did he say, Mohammed? Uh, well, basically, he said, before I came to Iran, I didn't know uh, the difference between Iraq and Iran. And my family doesn't know still. So yes. basically, nobody in Japan uh, knows uh, the difference between Iran and Iraq. And I think that's something uh, fairly global. So a lot of people think uh, that Iran and Iraq are either the same or pretty close. But yeah. So that's that's sort of the first obvious easy misconception that we have. Another yeah. another one that uh, we hear a lot is that Iranians are Arabs, which sort of isn't isn't true. But again, Mohammed, help us out here. Oh yeah, I mean Iranians are not Arabs. Uh, a whole bunch of uh, ethnicities, and uh, we have a prominent. Arab minority here as well, who are proud to be Arabs and Iranians at the same time. So uh, it is both true and not true. Yeah. So uh, there are um, other ethnicities. There are Kurds, Lurs, Baluchis, Turks, Turkmens, Romics, others. Yeah. yeah. Actually, Armenians and Jews, of course. So the the Arabs would be. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mohammed, on uh, on the border sort of areas to Iraq, no, the uh, south southwestern border of Iran. Pretty yeah. close to Iraq, yes. And uh, oddly enough, some somehow not wholly related, but uh, on the sort of south coast of Iran, I was there last year, and there were African uh, yes. Iranians, which yeah. was bizarre. They were very uh, dark-skinned and speaking Persian. It was quite strange for me to see. I, I wasn't personally aware of that. Well, there's a long history of African Iranians being here. Back in the day, uh, Persians would trade with Africa. A lot of people would uh, come and go as uh, there are uh, people in eastern coast of Africa, like Zanzibar, uh, who are from uh, who are of uh, Persian descent. Yeah. So that's the second one. The third one that we highlighted was kind of mentioned with our previous speaker mm -hmm. here about the Aryan uh, race. race. This yeah. is probably a misconception, I think, locally. I think yeah, a lot of Iranians them, themselves uh, like to consider themselves mm. Aryan. When I hear that, personally, I see that as a sort of political statement mm. myself. Which pro pro uh, probably factually doesn't mean anything anymore. Yeah. So we know mm -hmm. that uh, Aryans moved to this land, but that was 2,500 years ago or more, and things have changed. The demogra uh, demographic has changed dramatically. Yeah. Uh, when we got further down on the list, Mohammed, I'll mention it now, though, somewhat related to the uh, Aryan one. Often I hear Iranians, again, misconceptions inside Iran, probably, that Iranians consider themselves the smartest peoples in the <laughs> world, which always makes me laugh uh, when I hear that. Which, uh, But let's, let's move on uh, to the next one, which is Iran has nuclear weapons. I also, now, now <laughs> Mohammed, should we go here? Well, uh, actually, let's say uh, nobody knows exactly uh, whether Iran has nuclear weapons or pursuing it. I mean, everybody has their own claims, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, in some parts of the world, in some communities, it is an established fact that Iran has nuclear weapons. Yeah. And uh, like locally, it's completely denied. It's a bit of a can of worms in the uh, mm -hmm. region if we talk about nuclear weapons in the region and who has them, who's allowed to have them, who signed right. up to the uh, Nuclear Proliferation Treaty. Uh, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole right now, but um, my hunch would be that, yeah, nuclear weapons, uh, we wouldn't have so many sanctions if we had nuclear weapons is my <laughs> hunch about the whole thing, which makes me think there isn't any nuclear weapons. But again, we cannot confirm nor deny uh, that one. Uh, Mohammed, next on the list is... 
Oh, actually, this is uh, what David and I always fight about, uh, and that is Iranians speak Farsi. <laughs> oh, my, yeah, don't do that. As opposed to Persian. <laughs> Iranians, they, I mean, if you want to say, like, man Farsi, harf mizanam, yeah, that makes sense. But it's like, I see it like this, is Persian is the English word for it. So it's like, I wouldn't say, I speak Deutsch. I say, I speak mm -hmm. German. So uh, in that sense, Persian is the correct usage when using the English language. But uh, unfortunately, uh, there's a, uh, actually probably more people, I think, prefer to say Farsi. And a lot of people who aren't Iranian as well also sort of, uh, I would say, mistakenly uh, use that. Mohammed, you mm -hmm. still going to battle that one? Uh, okay. I will after we're uh, done with uh, this live yeah. Zoom session. I keep going to Wikipedia for this one, but it's, it sort of says like sometimes also known, you know, as, as Farsi. Mm -hmm. uh, don't do that. So next up on the list is. Uh, well, um, probably most of the people around the world, including Iranians, some of us, uh, we think the Persian is a Semitic language like Arabic and Hebrew. It is not. It's a Hindu European language. So it's way closer to Dutch or German mm -hmm. than Arabic. That's mm -hmm. also a misconception that uh well changes a lot when uh, when it comes to people confusing the geography and uh similarities uh between countries like iran and iraq and uh well basically because iran is also a pre predominantly muslim nation it makes it a little bit easier to make that mistake yeah there's yeah. also the a shared script with arabic as well which mm -hmm. makes which is probably where some of the misconception uh comes in there but yeah we also have mm -hmm. a lot of shared correct me if i'm wrong here Mohammed, a lot of shared language with the turks uh, Azeri and turkish up in the north mm -hmm. west uh, so of course the turkish have uh, the sort of latin-ish uh sort of script uh there. so there we can see uh, some sort of departure from the arab ways next up Mohammed, we have Iran is 2,500 2, years old. Yeah, well, uh, it is not. I mean, the name Iran was official in uh, 1935. And that is, very, that is a very controversial event because, uh, well, let's, uh, we don't want to get too deep into that. But there was a Nazi party here, uh, pro-German Nazi party. And uh, because like uh, Iran, one of the perceived meanings for Iran is land of the Aryans. They... Mm. Um, we're pushing the international community to call Iran Iran to get closer to uh, the German Nazi party. Oh, there wow. are other theories as well. Yeah. Well, I, I thought you were going to go off on one about the British having some influence there <laughs> with, uh, with that one. But the we, we escaped that one. We, we, had a, we had the previous speaker, I think, had a little dig at the British earlier. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't want to butt in about the uh, yeah, oh, good old Winston. Who's, who's getting a bit of a tough time in London at the moment, oh. who's uh, had to board the poor bugger up. <laughs> oh, what's going on there? So, uh, yeah, next up is apparently, yeah, there's this idea about sort of agitation with Jewish people and mm. Iranians having problems with uh, mm, yeah. the Jewish. And I guess that kind of comes from uh, Israel, uh, I guess. Well, uh, that comes from absolutely everywhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> when uh, you look at uh, the anti Israeli anti-Zionist propaganda in Iran. You don't, you don't, you never hear in Iran that we're anti-Jewish people. You're always hearing we're anti-Zionist. So there's a distinction between, I mean, different ideologies within the Jewish community here and uh, elsewhere. But um, well, yeah, I mean, 
anywhere you go around the world, you always hear people say, uh, think um, that Iranians are anti-Jews, but most of the people are not. I mean, there are anti-Semitic people all around the world, including in Iran, but Jews have been here since the beginning of the First Empire, and uh, they are still here. They have their lives here. Well, the, uh, the, uh, through time, they had their hardship, just like any minority here and the nation itself, but Iranians grew together. Mm. So, and uh, the Jewish community has been a part of this nation ever since the beginning of it. Yeah, I, uh, on the Jewish one, I've, I've been to a couple of synagogues in Tehran mm -hmm. and have several Jewish Iranian friends. Actually, one of our recent shows uh, was with a Jewish Iranian girl podcast mm -hmm. uh, over in America. And it was great. They were giving us a sort of uh, their view of dating from the Iranian Jewish view. We gave our view from Iran. But yeah, the Jewish thing is, is kind of, it's strange. Yeah, second largest uh, Jewish community outside of Israel in the Middle East as uh, in, in Iran. The Middle East, yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And as I say, it's, uh, I mean, I ask people here actually about that and I say, you know, what, uh, how do you feel about the Jewish, uh, you know, as one does ask, ask those questions at the dinner table. And, uh, everyone's like, yeah, you know, shrewd business people love them is, uh, <laughs> is, is normally the, uh, it's normally the response is a huge amount of respect every time I've asked them. Uh, so uh, to conclude this very important section, of course, Jews have had to go through uh, some hardship, but they're here. Most of us don't hate them. Next up, we have weather. Now, this is one when I speak with my uh, English friends, when I go back to England, uh, when I mention that there's skiing going on in Tehran and uh, that it snows. They sort of look at me like, yeah, he's a funny guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, good one. And I don't know, I guess, I don't know, maybe it's similar because I grew up not really knowing too much about Iranian culture and uh, I know a little bit more now. And uh, yeah, I was a bit surprised as well myself because I had pictures that are shown on the news and they're therefore thinking it was quite arid, desert-like, probably Iraq <laughs> was what I had in mind. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I was quite surprised to see snow-capped mountains uh, quite uh, sort of uh, up to midway through the year and uh, yeah quite heavy snow in the winter mm. good enough for that. yeah which is uh, kind of partly true because two hour drive uh, a two hour drive will take you from the desert uh, to the mountain on the north of Tehran and you can go to the ski resort and ski in April yeah so interesting and Europeans do yeah. uh, I've seen Europeans who travel just specifically mm -hmm. to go to uh, Dizin is one of the places and Shemshak also Total, which is like 20 minutes drive from where we, where are, we are right now yeah yeah yeah, there's no snow on the top of the mountains, I think, at the moment. Well, not at the moment. Give it, give it five or six days <laughs> and it's going to be there. Um, we're hoping to head down to the south to get some sun, actually, because it's getting quite cold in Tehran uh, at the moment. So we're going to do a couple of podcast shows down on an island in the south. So get some sun there. So anyway, next up on the list. Have we got time? Are we uh, OK? Yeah, go for it. OK, great. Well, we've only well, got two, so we'll just do them really slow then. We'll yeah, just use it's just so, so guys, how's it going? You know, how's the podcast going? Got two minutes. Just tell us about yourselves. <laughs> now we'll use the time. You can talk about yourselves later. Okay. So the next one is uh, uh, women, and as far as the sort of perception or misunderstandings about women being oppressed in the nation. Now we need to tread carefully here, Mohammed, because Mohammed and I don't identify as women. At least last I checked with Mohammed, he didn't identify as a woman. That might have changed. But, uh, uh, not until today, okay. but about a, uh, a very important subject that is women in Iran. Uh, well, the conception here, uh, the, the, uh, the misconception about Iranian women is that they're weak. Well, they might be oppressed in some communities, more or less, but um, actually women are uh, the dominant factor here in families and in the society. 
There are many strong and successful women. Of course, there is oppression from other women, from society, from the government, from uh, the law. I don't know, just like uh, from all around. But uh, still, like Iranian women are strong, resilient, always hopeful, and uh, they play one of the biggest roles in our society, always. Yeah, and we're not plugging our podcast too much by saying, uh, <laughs> "Oh, we are okay." Uh, that we also had a uh, a sort of uh, popular cafe uh, owner come on one of our shows and uh, talk about sort of the culture and also about how she's fed over the eighteen years of uh, working as a, a sort of cafe owner, a successful art gallery owner, and yeah, she's done really well. She was really great. Uh, so next up, last one. Okay, how long have we got? Thirty seconds. Let's go, Mohammed. Religion. <laughs> well, there's always this misconception that Iranians are either religious zealots, hardcore Muslims, or anti-regime, anti-Islamic uh, dissidents. That is absolutely not true. Of course, both of those people exist. Most of Iranians, uh, they come from a thousand-year-old background of uh, a sec secular nation with many, many religions and sects. I mean, uh, well, majority of Iranians are Shia Muslims, but Shiism is broken into many, many different sects. Uh, I could name a few. Let's uh, skip that. But uh, I got to say, Iranians as a nation grew up to be pragmatic, mostly secular and tolerant of each other. But of course, there are hardcore religious zealots as well. Why might I would just add a little bit more to that? that mm -hmm. uh, would you agree with me in in saying that kind of a little bit pagan in parts, and maybe that's sort of the Zoroastrian roots? Oh, absolutely. And uh, well, a lot of traditions in Shia Islam is perceived by some some scholars to be a pagan response to the fundamental Islam as well. That is something that is uh, a, a still. It requires a lot of study, of course, uh, which is probably not very welcome here at this point, but I'm pretty sure the scholarship is open. Well, at the same time, of course, Zoroastrianism uh, is uh, a predominant, uh, actually, it's, it, is a, it, it is a very important part of the Iranian history, so yeah, yeah it is considered also paganism. And just a little tiny th thing to add at the end here. That is, uh, there's a heck of a lot of yoga instructors in Tehran. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Just, just saying. <laughs> it's taking off here. Uh, we hope that's helped uh, provide you with some, you know, uh, interesting array of uh, misunderstandings from the point of view of us in Iran. If there's any questions, let us know. If not, let's move on to the next person. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing everything, man. That was that was awesome. And you oh, guys gave me thorough. Yeah. Yeah, you guys gave some great perspective. Um, I guess yeah, yeah. If anyone has any questions for for these two, for David and Muhammad, um, we'll open it up for that. Um, and if not, then we can move on to if anyone else has something to share, or we can move back to Preeti to discuss some of the less benign examples for India or Hinduism as well. Yeah, so uh, thanks everyone for sharing your uh, views and your backgrounds. Um, that was very enlightening. Um, so uh, I myself am a third culture kid like Preeti. Uh, I'm South Asian and I uh, was born and grew up in the Middle East. And uh, I have a Farsi name, so I, I guess I relate to a lot of you. But um, as someone who lives in the U.S. right now. I just wanted to add another perspective, which is sort of cultural misunderstandings about the U.S. that mm. foreigners have. Um, so these are things that I had uh, as misconceptions before I came to the U.S., and now they've been cleared up. But a lot of my family back home and other people abroad have sort of these misconceptions. 
Uh, I'll just share a handful in the interest of time. So the first one is uh, wealth. So uh, before I came to the U.S., I thought everyone was very wealthy and uh, there aren't any poor people living in the U.S. So as soon as I, and I remember, so I, I sort of landed in Boston and my first sort of my uncle was driving uh, me to get the most American thing possible, which is pizza. And um, I, I just noticed a homeless man with a sign saying that he's a, U.S. veteran and he seeking some money and I was just so confused and that was sort of my first I guess it, it was very jarring to me to see a homeless person and who's poor and, and a veteran in the U.S. So my conceptions of that everyone is wealthy was shattered and of course over the years I've learned that there's a lot of uh, poor people in the U.S. Second sort of misconception about the U.S. that I had was it's very cold everywhere. That's not the case. Uh, although I, I do live in the Midwest, which is extremely cold, it, 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 I visited other parts of the country, such as uh, Arizona and Colorado, um, which do get cold, but uh, they have very desert-like landscapes as well. During summers, they get pretty hot. Uh, another misconception was that uh, Americans only eat fast food. So I get this a lot from my relatives uh, back home who say, oh, like you must be eating like burgers and fries like every every meal. And I myself, from seeing Hollywood and all these sort of icons from back home, thought that that was the case. But unfortunately, it's not. America is very diverse in terms of food. But the, it, it is partially true. The stereotype partially is true because you see fast food chains everywhere on highways, interstate highways and elsewhere. So yeah. Uh, and the final one that I'll share is that all American colleges are like American pie. Um, which is sort of my misconception coming in is that it's just full of frats and large parties everywhere, which was not the case uh, when I came to college here in the U.S. I went to a pretty chill school, which didn't have sort of these aspects. So, so yeah, just wanted to share some other perspective of what cultural misconceptions are there about the U.S. abroad. Definitely. One thing that I 100% will agree is I too, I will, I live, I'm from America, um, I'm from New York. And I too, before going to college, thought it was like American pie. And I went for four years and I still think college is like American pie. So I definitely can agree on that. Um, some of the comments that we got in the chat, it says, um, is there any differences between Christian sects like Catholic Protestant to the divisions you mentioned, like any key differences? Uh, and that one was to David and Muhammad. Right, that was a reference to David and Muhammad in regards to the vets aren't necessarily vets. Google's stolen valor, but often they're oh, they are trying to play on people's guilt. Yeah, should so we come in with the answer to the Christian one? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, in Iran, um, we have like most of Christians here are Orthodox Christians, um, from Armenia and like uh, Eastern denominations, Greeks, mm -hmm. and there are Catholics here. And they're Assyrians. Uh, well, of course, they have their uh, divisions, but they're minimized because they're a minority. Like each of them, it makes them closer to each other as opposed to other nations where uh, are like Christian majorities. Therefore, uh, those differences might cause clashes. But here, it's more like disagreements and like different practices and traditions. And that's it. They go to each other's churches. Nothing major. Gotcha. Yeah. Thanks for answering that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and thank you to the last speaker too for sharing. Uh, it's good to get some perspective on America too, because I'm sure that while we're talking about all the misconceptions about cultures around the world, you know, it's true that people have misconceptions about America as well. And we touched on that a little bit in the first half too, you know, about people having preconceived notions of America and our political leanings. You know, we Red had brought up in the previous episode about how some of the people that he brings on to interview are a bit hesitant because they're unsure of what his political affiliation or leanings are. And especially right now with how incendiary and polarizing American politics has become, it turns off a lot of people. And even not knowing, you know, making the assumption that someone holds a particular view for some people is enough to, to dissuade them from being fully comfortable coming on and talking with an American. So we appreciate you bringing up those misconceptions about America too. And and I can definitely, as an American, I can agree. I think that you're you're right in all of your observations. I, I think um, if that, it sounds like that was the only other question for David and Muhammad. But otherwise, uh, Preeti, if you don't mind uh, jumping back to you, I was yes. hoping to delve into a little more of the other examples that you had in mind. Uh, we started with yoga, but I'm sure that you have other things that you were hoping to, to discuss with us. Yes, thank you again for the opportunity. Uh, I'm so uh, uh, happy that the other, the, the uh, my two uh, Iranian speaker friends uh, had a great um method of just uh, jotting down uh, like, uh, you know, 10 different examples and they uh, briefly touched on them. I think what I did was the opposite. I took one and I really expanded it. So while they were speaking, I actually had to go get a pen and, and uh, <laughs> jot down and they all just came to me. And it's ironic that some of them are very interrelated because these two, the Persian civilization and the Hindu civilization, um, there is a lot of, uh, there's been civilizational connection for a long time. And in fact, uh, the, uh, a lot of Iranians uh, fled to India during the persecution. And they, of course, they're called the Parsis. Uh, I think it was the only country that uh, they probably were accepted and, and totally welcomed. So, you know, so many hundreds of years later, we still have this very um, thriving Parsi community. And some of them have obviously married into Indian. Uh, so you have a mixture of Indian and, and, and Persian, you know, uh, be beautiful people, really amazing. Um, so, yes, I have uh, like uh, uh, several other um, distortions and I'll be very brief with them because I think there are some really meaty ones. Um, and I uh, work as a geopolitical uh, commentator and analyst for, mm -hmm. for TV and radio. So I'm going to put that hat on because some of these are related to, for, uh, to, to geopolitics. Sorry, they're, you know, sort of very political in that way. So uh, first one is uh, uh, still it's 2020 and people still don't realize that Gautama Buddha was Indian and that he was actually a Hindu. For some reason, he, the depiction of Buddha is, he, he looks Asian, he looks Oriental. Uh, and I don't know how, maybe it was a Chinese, because obviously it's it spread there and then they took it to, you know, they, they took it to the uh, to other parts of the world. But for some reason, the, the, the Oriental depiction of Buddha is much more uh, prominent than how he would have actually probably looked, which is like a, some Indian person, you know, thousands of years ago. Uh, so that's one. The second one is people think that uh, Hinduism is the predominant uh, religion uh, in India. Well, yes, 85% is, is still Hindu after so many years. However, people don't realize that it's th that five out of the top 10 religions around the world originated in India. So uh, it's a very religious 
country in a way with various forms of looking at the truth. You know, most of these are dharmic, but still, uh, and uh, one of the oldest Jewish synagogues in the world happens to be in Kerala. And uh, one of the oldest mosques is also in India. So it's an incredibly syncretic country that has really just embraced everything. Um, and, you know, there is this talk about Indo-European or proto-Indo-European. Um, I think when the historians at this stage, they have done the um, history of the linguistics and so on, they found that it's actually the Sanskrit was the mother language. And then you go, get, get the Germanic uh, and, and all the other languages too, which is why uh, it, there's such similarities. I mean, when you look at even Lithuanian and Latvian, even their language, even the way that they write, their the written script is so similar to Sanskrit or South Indian languages. You know, you you think it's the same language. It's interesting the the influence of it, which brings me, I think, to the most contentious contentious issue of this Aryan invasion theory. My other speakers brought it up. I do want to touch on that um, because they mentioned something like uh, a lot of Iranians probably think that they're. Uh, roots uh, come from these fr from the Aryan race or whatever. Uh, you know what? Newsflash: There is no Aryan race. There is no such thing as Aryan. There is only Arya, which means noble, and that is in the Vedas. That is a Sanskrit word. Arya was used to uh, define people in uh, India, the Greater India, Akhand Bharat. We say it got distorted over time. You have to really look up the German Indologists, people like Max Müller and other such people who, they were very enamored by the Vedas, but they were not Sanskrit speakers as such. They just uh, looked at uh, translations and then they you know, formed some of these theories. And that's why they're so, they got so many things wrong, including things like caste system and the, who are the Brahmins and, and even our symbols like swastika and all of that. Um, so, uh, you know, it is true that we had people from all around the world, especially the Caucasus and the Steppe area that came to India many thousands of years ago. However, the Aryan invasion theory, uh, the, the, the main crux of that, philosophy, of that concept is that Vedic philosophy, the Vedas, Hinduism, uh, I think even Sanskrit, is not indigenous to India. They claim that it came from these white people from Steppes or Caucasus, which is completely false. Um, it is indigenous to India. So there's the other theory is the out of India theory, which is where it traveled from India to the rest of the world, which makes a lot of sense. I'm not denying that people from other nations came to India. It, maybe there was even mingling, but the 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 our uh, you know, our philosophy is indigenous to India. So that the Aryan invasion theory is very much debunked now, thank God. Uh, and for, I can't believe for so, so many decades, it was the accepted norm, you know, in academia. 100%, I greatly appreciate it. One thing I, so I took, um, and I, I hate the basis of how I'm asking this question because I don't want to come off as ignorant, but in my, in college, I took, you know, uh, Eastern religions class yep. and they separated the different concepts of the Buddha in regards to the more, uh, I guess, mainland China, the, the bigger overweight Buddha compared to the more slender. Uh, could you uh, at least um, differentiate the two, at least from my understanding, because I assume I, that. That's, that's a good point. I think it's, uh, that's from, that's a Chinese connection. Uh -huh. That's a depiction that, that comes. I think in China, uh, when you, you, you go to, uh, 
uh, or maybe even Tibetan Buddhism. But, mm -hmm. So there is a difference between, you know, uh, you have the uh, uh, the various types of Buddhism. You go, so Indian Buddhists are in their, in, in just in their thinking, beliefs, behavior are quite different at all the, uh, the the actual Buddhism, you know, and there's that Nalanda University connection too. And he always, I mean, you have got to look at the Dalai Lama's um, recent interviews. I think on his 85th birthday, he keeps saying, I am uh, he only here to share uh, India's spiritual technology to the world. You know, he always stresses that this, this all of this was ancient Indu, uh, Indian thought and uh, ancient Indian spirituality that obviously he's now a, a caretaker of, which is a wonderful thing. I mean, he's an Indian citizen now. Uh, he, you know, they, he's been, uh, uh, I guess, uh, uh, in exile for 60 odd years and he's a, a son of India, so to speak. But, but look up his interviews. He's phenomenal in explaining even uh, the origins of Tibetan Buddhism which is the closest to the original source, which is, you know, in, in India. Back to your question, I think it's just a uh, depiction. I don't see, you know, and obviously they have different avatars of, of Buddha, you know, different right. forms. And then, of course, you have Kwan, Kwan Yin, but that she's a female uh, sort of goddess, so, so to speak. Yeah. Thank you for clearing that up. I was just, uh, you know, there's just so many aspects of, you know, at least in the American education system, you're not sure which aspects are of truth or just things that pass yes. down or, you know, I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. If anyone else has any questions for Preeti um, and the, the things that she had discussed, feel free to, again, either unmute yourself and bring them up or uh, feel free to drop them in the chat. Well, I, I guess I have to be honest. When um, David and Muhammad came on, I was shocked to my core. Uh, their the register in their voice was right. so sonically uh, awakening. I was like, "Wow, am I listening to like a, a sleepy time?" Like this, it was just perfect intonation. You know, a lot of a lot of Americans would have assumed whatever stereotype we've been fed uh, within throughout our media. So I, mm -hmm. it, I must admit, I had to check myself, and I was like, "You know, you can't have a concept like this or a podcast like this, and then have preconceived notions." But granted, I'm still a product of my environment, and you know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt the same way. Right. It was it was shocking. Right. Especially um, the one I don't remember. If, I think it was David um, had said that he was, uh, I believe, British and Iranian. Right. Um, and so it caught me off guard at first. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we had talked about with Red early on was language and, and accents. And, you know, it's something that people it, it's natural to make an assumption. Right. It's natural to assume based on your previous experiences and your previous knowledge and things like that. It's something that obviously we all need to work on, on getting better at, but you know, it, it was interesting. And I was really glad that they joined us. They wound up uh, logging off because it's actually super late uh, or rather early, I suppose, over where they're at. I believe it's uh, about 1 a.m. if I'm not mistaken there. So I was really happy to have them join us and, you know, and have them share their experiences as well. Um, we did get a comment really quick. Preeti, it's for you. Uh, it says, mm -hmm. are there any Indian concepts and misconceptions of America? Oh, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, look, we have a very uh, positive image of, of, of America. I, I would actually uh, maybe frame it um, as the in, in the in the opposite, where people think that 
America is the answer to all, all the problems that a green card is basically the your, your, your passport to enlightenment or something like that. And it's only when you come here that you realize it's not. So I think the misconceptions that maybe Indians have is that it's this paradise and then they come here and they realize, no, it has a lot of problems as well. And you must appreciate, I think, where you come from and your roots. That's personally me living here for so many years. That's what I take away from my time here. Thank you again for joining us, everyone. This was Preeti Upala. Yeah. We were super happy to have you on the show. Thank you so much. If you were tuning in earlier, the two gentlemen that were joining us from Iran, um, they unfortunately had to go because it was very late or very early rather in their time. Um, but they also gave me a brief plug to give. Um, so if anyone is interested in learning about Iran or Iranians and getting the Iranian take on things, be sure to check them out too. Their podcast is called Ask an Iranian. And so you can find them anywhere that you find podcasts just like us. They also have a website that is www.askaniranian.com. And so we were super happy to have them join us as well. They brought some fascinating perspective about Iran and about some of the cultural uh, misunderstandings and misinterpretations about Iran in general. Um, and we were happy to have their perspective as well. So definitely check them out and hope to see you all again next time. Woohoo! Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, please remember to like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Say What Needs and on Instagram and Facebook at Say What Needs Saying for live updates and sound bites from our actual podcast. Don't forget to continue the discussion. Thank you for listening. Thanks.